Welcome to the Air Medical Today podcast. My name is Edward Ero, and I am your host for episode 24 on October 30th, 2010. This podcast is part of the Ero Podcast Network, podcasts that inform by focusing on both the news and the people behind the news. Air Medical Today is published throughout the year, and with each episode, we explore a specific area of the air medical industry and community through the use of interviews. You can find Air Medical Today on the web at airmedtoday.com and on Facebook and Twitter. The podcast is also indexed on iTunes. For additional information about the guest on the podcast, I also provide background data on the Eero Podcast Network blog at blog.eero.com. Remember, if you would like to become a sponsor and or leave feedback, please write to webmaster at airmedtoday.com or call 206-350-0278. Today's show is a bit different than previous episodes as I have recorded a number of the past presidents of the Association of Air Medical Services and you will hear in their words some of the critical issues, challenges, and accomplishments during their tenure. This podcast is being done in celebration of the 30th anniversary of Ames. Also included with this episode is a fun quiz on the history of Ames with prizes. Before we get to the recordings, I want to go over some feedback from episode 23. Well, I've been at Gunderson Lutheran Health System as the program director for MedLink Air and Specialty Care Transport now for the past four weeks. I really enjoy the position and the beautiful lacrosse area, and of course have been very busy orienting myself to both. I did receive some general feedback on Air Medical Today, but nothing specific from episode 23. If you have not listened to Dr. David Lamb on the history of air evacuation and transport, please do, as he has done some fascinating research in this area, and he is very engaging. In the show notes, there will be a link to a SurveyMonkey quiz on some of the history of the Association of Air Medical Services. The second president of Ames, Carl Gills, provided many of the early history questions. The first four listeners that answer the questions correctly by the deadline will receive a gift certificate for a road ID. Road ID is trying to get the word out to all EMS personnel so that we are all aware of cyclists, skiers, runners, and other athletes wearing their identification where you can obtain very helpful personal and medical information. I am so convinced of the value of Road ID that I wear my bracelet all the time even when I'm not exercising. For information on their many safety-related products, go to roadid.com. A big thanks to the staff for providing the gift certificates for the quiz. Also remember that if your program or service has a Facebook fan page, be sure that it is linked at the Air Medical Today Facebook page. Please just email or call me if it is not. I am always on the lookout for all the Air Medical and Critical Care Transport fan pages on Facebook so it is easier for others to find you. Finally, the sponsorship page is up and you can get to it by following the link on the homepage. 
To continue all the work I am doing in bringing news and information and the podcast, I still need your financial support. So if you can become a sponsor, your company or name will be listed according to the level of support. Sponsorship is also a great way to highlight your company or name, so do contact me as soon as possible. Through my work with the Ames Communications and Public Relations Committee, we'd help the staff in planning some of the activities for the association's 30th anniversary. I had volunteered to record the voices of the past presidents of the association so that listeners can hear from them in their own voices what the critical issues, challenges, and accomplishments were during their tenure. This has been really a fun project because I got to meet and talk to many of the past presidents that I did not know or did not know very well. With the help of the AIM staff and others in locating everyone, we still were not able to contact all the past presidents, but I know you will enjoy hearing many of the ones that are included. These recordings are not interviews, so you will not hear my voice until I talk about my two years as president. I'm Joe Tai. I was the first president of what was then called ASHBEAMS, the American Society of Hospital-Based Emergency or Medical Services. Um, there's a, there's a mouthload. Um, from 1980 to 1982, uh, I am currently CEO and head coach of Values Coaching, a training and consulting firm that focuses on values-based life and leadership skills, most of our work being with hospitals. Um, I ended my hospital career in 1994 as chief operating officer of a large community teaching hospital, and uh, that was the year that I founded Values Coach. Um, my affiliation with uh, the healthcare field and with emergency or medical services since then has primarily been as a provider of training and consulting uh, services. Um, the, the biggest milestones, I think, during um, my tenure were, first of all, that we got um, what was then Ash Beams, now Ames, off the ground. Um, a lot of credit goes to a lot of people. Um, Carl Gills, for example, was uh, second president, but very um, instrumental in getting things going. Um, and during that time, we went from zero members to uh, almost 200 participants in, in the second conference. That was probably the big, first biggest milestone is simply getting it off the ground, uh, starting the process to get 501c3 designation, et cetera. And I think the second biggest milestone was that uh, we, we made uh, the first real effort at establishing quality standards um, for the hospital aviation service. Uh, at the time, it was brand new. When uh, at at first we had, there were only less than a dozen uh, hospital-based uh, helicopter services in the country, and by the time I retired, that number had expanded significantly. Um, I think the thing that uh, I would be most say I'm most proud of would be that we simply kept the organization going. We got it off onto a, a good trajectory. Um, I think my biggest uh, concern at the time, all of our biggest concerns at the time, was that uh, we somehow needed to have standards that would define uh, not just quality but also coverage. You know, I think there was a lot of concern that we'd have helicopters chasing each other all, all over the country. They'd be running into each other. Um, and, you know, it was, it was probably synonymous to the... Um, 
effort at the time to designate trauma centers. And that I don't think we made a whole lot of progress on. Um, now, some of the, the horrible downside that we had envisioned, you know, helicopters running into each other, um, that has happened on occasion, but I, I don't think that uh, we saw some of the, the disastrous outcomes we thought we could see if there were three or four or 500 emergency helicopter services um, flying around the country. At a personal level, uh, probably my most um, memorable experience uh, with the emergency air medical services business was being in a helicopter when it went down. And we were you know, very fortunate we had an outstanding pilot. He auto-rotated, um, and although the helicopter was um, very severely damaged, uh, everybody walked away. And I was very thankful for Bob Wasick, our pilot, who um, clearly knew what he was doing. Um, I think uh, the thing that has been the, the most wonderful, pleasant surprise has been the way that Ames has continued to grow, uh, continued to make a difference at a, a federal level, and the um, incredible leadership that Don Mancuso and her team have given to the organization. Um, it, it has come a long way from the, the baby organization that we started in Kansas City in 1980. This is Carl Gill. I was president of ASHBEAM, the American Society of Hospital-Based Emergency Air Medical Services, from 1982 to 1983. Uh, I followed Joe Tai, who was our first president, and preceded uh, Dan Reich, who was our third. Currently, I am the Chief Executive Officer at Yampa Valley Medical Center in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, coming here um, after being the Chief Operating Officer and then the Administrator at North Colorado Medical Center in Greeley, Colorado. When I was associated with Ash Beams, I uh, first started as the Vice President at Iowa Methodist Medical Center in Des Moines and then continued some work after I'd moved to Greeley. Um, in uh, roughly, uh, or I shouldn't say roughly, when uh, we started, uh, when uh, the concern was raised to begin accrediting uh, hospital um, uh, air medical programs, and Ash Beams was involved in uh, facilitating, along with other professional organizations, what was then the um, Commission on Accreditation of Air Medical Services, now CAMTS. I was asked to be the one of the original board members and help set up those credentialing criteria. This was probably the best assignment I got during any uh, coordination that I had with the air medical industry because that's where I met my wife, Mary Gills, who was on the CAMES board representing the uh, Neonatal Nurses Association, and Mary later became president of CAMES. So uh, there's a lot of air medical history in both of our families. Um, there were a lot of things going on when I was uh, in the early days of, of Ash Beams and now Ames. Of course, that was the uh, beginning of the growth period of hospital-based helicopter services, and by today's environment, they certainly look pretty rudimentary. The standard crew mix was a pilot and a flight nurse. Uh, occasionally, there would be a respiratory therapist or maybe a second flight nurse along uh, as well, but certainly not the sophistication of medical flight crews that we have now. But nonetheless, that was the starting point, and there were many, many programs that were beginning to come on board when I was involved with it at that time. Um, that's probably one of the major things I remember. The other uh, major event that occurred during my tenure as actual president of, of Ames or Ash Beams 
was our decision that we could no longer operate uh, the organization out of my top right-hand desk drawer. And in fact, we then made the decision to uh, contract with a, a staff person and Nina Merrill, who was at the time associated with the uh, program at, I think, um, I can't remember specifically, but one of the hospitals in uh, California, became our first executive director and served in that capacity for, for several years and worked with us in supporting the programs that we're developing, as well as uh, bringing some professionalism to the, to the organization itself. Uh, in those early days, uh, one of the other major things that happened was the organization really became uh, began to become noted as the industry representative. Uh, we certainly did not try to represent the individual professions that made up the program, but worked as the representative of the overall programs themselves and became a resource to media, to programs that were developing um, we were asked a lot of questions about uh, things such as vendors and equipment and reimbursement and those types of things. So during the uh, the four years of uh, Joe's um, service in mine, we really began to become nationally recognized. Along with that, the annual meeting became a staple, and uh, its membership continued to grow every year, and its attendance continued to grow every year. And, of course, the highlight at that point were the new helicopters and new medical configurations in the helicopters uh, that were uh, developing as the industry grew in those days. So it was truly um, a growth uh, spurt uh, and growth continuous for the, uh, for the industry. One of the things that we would sit around contemplating at the time was how many programs might be supported nationally. And I think most of us thought that we would probably see maybe 50 to 75 programs uh, would saturate uh, the market in uh, hospital-based air medical programs. And I have not a clue as to how many programs there are in the country now, but I know it's far, far and away beyond what we thought would uh, be sustainable in those days. Um, the other interesting observation or another observation that I would make uh, during the time I was there and, and associated with it uh, was the growth of the MASH Bash. Uh, started in Jacksonville in, I believe, 1982. Uh, no, I, I believe it was 1981. Uh, the MASH Bash became a staple for the um, annual meeting for many, many years. And I'm pleased to see, based on the program that I've uh, looked at, it is coming back for this 30th anniversary uh, year. And uh, there are certainly some stories that could be told uh, by many of us uh, about the MASH bashes, but we've all been sworn to secrecy. Uh, so if I was uh, to tell you, then I'd have to have the uh, tape and everybody around self-destruct in five seconds. Um, so we'll, we'll keep those old stories to um, the lore and to individual sharing and won't put that one on tape. Um, I'm sorry I'm not going to be at the 30th annual meeting and uh, wish everyone who's in this industry the best. It certainly continues to be a very um, important aspect of pre-hospital care as well as uh, uh, in-hospital care with the interfacility transfers that are done. I don't think anybody had any idea of the growth and the sophistication that we would see today when, this, uh, when everything got started. Uh, I wish everyone the best and good luck in the future. Yeah, good evening. My name's Daniel Reich. Uh, uh, 
known more as Dan Reich. Uh, I uh, presently am the director of flight operations uh, for a corporate uh, position that's based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, my primary residence is in Flagstaff, Arizona. And uh, back in 1985-1986, uh, when I was president of the Ash Beams to become Ames organization, I was director of flight operations, emergency medical, emergency medical services, and communications at the St. Uh, Anthony Hospital Flight for Life program. Um, during during the uh, two years of my presidency, um, I was able to participate with the National Transportation Safety Board and uh, Washington EMS uh, panel that uh, studied air vehicles and standards for air, air vehicles, looking at the requirements and equipment to be utilized uh, in these, um, not just helicopters, but uh, uh, air transports. It was a, a conference where they had multiple players from around the country um, uh, with the intent of combining military and civilian expertise to look at the medical equipment as well as the uh, onboard uh, equipment and safety equipment for the uh, flight programs. Prior to uh, my presidency with um, uh, Ames, Ashbeams, um, I was on a couple of the committees with the organization. Um, I think the year was 80, 1982, 84, somewhere in there, where I was committee chairman for the annual conference that was uh, based, hosted out of Denver, uh, Denver, Colorado, for that year. Um, one of the more significant aspects, I believe, that occurred uh, during the two years I was president with the uh, Ashbeams organization was actually the expansion from the original hospital-based concept where the name actually came from, American Society Hospital-Based Emergency or Medical Services, uh, the expansion to include our fixed-wing brethren and also um, non-hospital-based entities and private entities that you know were not hospital-based. It took uh, um, uh, a lot of uh, people's involvement. The uh, rules, the bylaws, and everything had to be changed and reworded. A lot of players were involved in that, of course. Um, but the, the hospital concept uh, uh, was still a very, very strong aspect of the organization, but obviously it needed to grow and uh, and expand with not only the uh, fixed-wing and non-hospital base, but the international aspect of it. That, of course, led to the change of the name of, from Ash Beams to the present name of, uh, of Ames to allow uh, coverage uh, for its and to reflect its membership. Um, during the two-year period, again, as president, I uh, was able to host and facilitate uh, the first Safety Congress, which uh, we had hoped would recognize and resolve many of the issues that 
were present during that time frame and unfortunately are still present present in our um, current situation with uh, the incidents and accidents that occur um, strictly uh, associated with the air medical services. Uh, that was uh, hosted uh, and put on, if you will, uh, in California, I think, uh, in around uh, UCLA, we had a professor from UCLA and had a lot of attendees because of the interest then and the interest now as to the cause and circumstances of what's going on and and what we could do to learn from the accident situations and how we could go forth and uh, help to prevent um, these accidents from occurring. Um, there was a lot of uh, information exchanged and a lot of uh, data exchanged, uh, all of it taken back. Uh, standards were looked at to help come up with uh, standards to implement, to promote to the various programs with the intent that this would indeed allow us to become a, a safer organization. And I think for a period of time it probably did, and uh, without going into a lot of, of uh, aspects on the safety and the safety problems, needless to say, we're, we're still having these occurrences. I think one of the main highlights that came out of the Safety Congress then and still looking at today is there are no new causes for aviation accidents in paramedical or in commercial uh, operations. They're just being repeated a little bit more frequently and um, we still have uh, a ways to go to make sure that we can in, uh, improve the safety of our uh, operators, patients, pilots, doctors, nurses. Uh, in the uh, future, uh, for the air medical transport. I think some of the changes that I have seen, I'm not directly involved in the air medical transports at this time, um, and involved in a corporate operation, but still in, in aviation, I've more or less left the, the medical side of the uh, operation. But I can see where the helicopter and fixed wing equipment, uh, medical as well as the uh, operational uh, equipment specifically night vision goggles I know are being used by some operators. IFR capabilities um, are more applicable in the helicopter operations and of course they've always been involved in the fixed wing operations. Um, the uh, FLIR, the forward-looking infrared aspect I believe is also being used in some uh, some programs. Um, there, the technology that's out there, much of it is being applied to the uh, air medical side of it. And um, it's been a pleasure to be involved with the organization and also to, also to watch the organization go. I still have some affiliations with a few of the uh, current members and past members. It, uh, it was a uh, large uh, hole to fill back in the early days. And if you can only imagine trying to follow in the footsteps or the shadow of Joe Ty and Carl Gills. Um, I had my hands full as well as uh, um, my basket and uh, uh, certainly 
learned probably more uh, during my involvement than I was able to provide to the, the organization itself, but an experience that I would not uh, would not trade for um, many uh, many other things that uh, I have done before or since. So appreciate the time and the interest, and hope I uh, I'm able to see everybody in October. Greetings to all as we celebrate 30 years of uh, amazing growth, maturation, and service. Who am I? Old Jim Smith here, one of the originals. My career was in health services administration at uh, Geisinger in Pennsylvania at the time of the beginning of Ash Beams. I was in Houston in 1980 for the founding and the naming of Ash Beams. I served as the first chair of finance for the new organization. That was all about how do we get paid and who will pay us. I was on the board of directors from the beginning, and I became president of Ash Beams in 1986. I concluded my service on the board as the immediate past president in 1990. This was probably the most exciting, invigorating, and rewarding decade in my entire career. In the beginning, it was a show-and-tell world. The early programs, uh, the folks in Denver, Houston, Iowa, and a few others were most generous in sharing all that they were learning with all of us who hoped to follow in their wake or their rotor wash. The programs up and running in 1980 were the original models and the organizers of Ash Beams. They were getting calls, having visits, being bombarded by all of us upstarts, and they saw the creation of an organization to be a point of sharing, educating, and propagating the models for emergency air medical services across the country. It was a great collaborative model of extending what they were already carrying out as individual programs. The programs across the country grew rapidly. Ashbeam supported this growth with, growth with amazing communication and efficiency. Others have already talked about those early years. What was happening when I became president in 1986? It was an amazing and exciting time. From the original dozen programs that had met in Houston in 1980, we now exceeded 100 programs up and running, and more were starting every month. We had related parties getting organized. The National Flight Nurses Association was already very active. The Pilots Association was stretching their wings. Flight paramedics were now flying in some programs and were gathering organizationally. The physicians were getting together to share and to learn. The comm center dispatch folks were getting organized and promoting consistent training and communication. The big, date, the big debates in hardware were single engine or twins and VFR versus IFR. And we were being noticed by the FAA and other regulatory agencies. The reimbursement for our services was in major transition. In the beginning, we were covered under the old cost-based reimbursement systems uh, for hospitals in general. The deal then was add the service and the cost to your hospital's budget, and the payers will, will return the money eventually. Now, everything was changing in hospital reimbursement systems. DRGs were in place. Payers no longer cared whether our coronary emergencies came to the hospital in a helicopter or a wheelbarrow. They paid the same for every case based on its diagnosis. A whole new world was upon us. But amidst all this, everything was full speed ahead. 
Emergency Air Medical Services was indeed a hungry, growing, and exuberant teenager, up, up, and away. I've been asked to reflect on the two biggest issues or accomplishments that came to be during my term as president. I believe and I hope that the following can be seen as good work for our industry and our contribution to our association and our membership. I took office in the winter of 1986, and the sky began to fall quite literally. We suddenly began to have major accidents, serious and devastating fatal crashes all over the country. I recall more than a dozen crashes in less than a year. That meant that 10% of our member programs were falling out of the sky. Our relationship with the FAA and NTSB got serious. The Today Show called me and invited me to come and talk to them. As an ash beam rep, whatever that was, and as a hospital administrator who was running one of these things. They were also going to include in the interview, as they said, a pilot who'd almost been killed. We declined this invitation, and we somehow got them to focus on a piece on medical necessity, how important these programs are to the public, not how dangerous they suddenly seem to be. Al Gore took time out from inventing the Internet to make a big, bold, and uninformed statement. I would never put my mother on one of these things, he concluded. I put it in the vernacular. In the mid-80s, all hell was breaking loose. I invited members of our board to my home in northern Pennsylvania for a weekend marathon meeting. What's happening and what can we do about all this? A dozen folks from all across the country came to focus and pursue our options. Rick Frazier, a longtime pilot and operator, put endless hours into assessing what was happening. We did not have major mechanical failures. Our tails were not falling off our aircraft. These tragic accidents were happening because of some combinations of human error and judgment. We were flying when we should have stayed on the ground. We were going into places we could not see and could not find. We were doing things with these aircraft and the crews on board that were beyond reason. We were taking risks that were literally killing our dear colleagues, our friends, and sometimes our patients. Ash beams had to step up and intervene somehow. Laws? We could not make laws. We had no authority to regulate. But we could develop and promulgate best practices and standards for safe operations. These would hopefully bring rational, reasonable, responsible, and consistent policies and practices and behavior to our major operations. We had to do this now, and all this became our priority one program. This was a major thrust put forth in the fall of 1987 at our annual conference. This was important. It was critical. It was essential to our survival of our individual programs and as the emergency air medical service industry. Priority one took root. We worked at it with diligence, and it became the bedrock of what is today the Commission on Air Medical Transport Systems. Eileen Frazier stepped up to the challenges back in the 80s 
and with her team, the rest is history. At the conference in 2010, we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of Ash Beams and Ames and the 20th anniversary of CAMTS. The second happening that occurred during my watch was reconsideration of who we are, who do we represent, and what do we call this evolving organization. Let's harken back to our name selected in Houston in 1980, Ash Beams. The AS part was the American Society. So membership was restricted to programs in the USA. Next was HB, hospital-based. We had insisted that our membership be comprised of programs that were physically based at hospitals, staffed and directed by hospital emergency programs. We had indeed created an exclusive association. This was based on strict criteria of who could be in and who would be excluded by virtue of where they lived or where their base of operations was controlled. We gave this all a very serious second look. Was this essential? Who were we excluding? What value were we gaining or perhaps missing with this strict criteria? Who was left out? Any programs in Canada or Europe or Australia or anywhere else? What were we missing by saying they could not belong to ash beams? We were also excluding programs like Dr. Crowley's Maryland Shock Trauma Center because the aircraft and the pre-hospital crews were Maryland State Police assets. Many of us began to discover that this exclusivity was simply no longer cool. It was time to make ash beams inclusive. This discussion and debate persisted for much of my term as president. But at the conference in Boston in 1988, Ashbeams became Ames. So much to be gained and shared with a much broader and diverse constituency. Ames was poised to move to new levels of international perspective and service to the entire air medical service industry with new vigor and enthusiasm for our mission. I truly believe this was a great step, and it did indeed cast new purpose, scope, and scale for the association in the decades that have followed. So much was happening in mid-80s during my watch, but I truly believe that Priority One, now CAMTS, and the evolution to AIMS were landmark initiatives that have had lasting and positive impact on this most special mission and industry. What do we see ahead? Magnificent challenges and opportunities. This sort of work will never be easy or automatic, and it cannot be taken for granted. We will have to justify our value to the public and to the payers every day. We will have to demonstrate all that makes us absolutely essential when our public and our patients are at their most vulnerable states of illness or injury. When life and death hangs in the balance, emergency air medical services must continue to be there. We must support and sustain our industry and the services we provide as long as we all shall live. The decade of the 80s was indeed the most exciting and most rewarding decade of my career. 
In the midst of all this, I married the love of my life, my dear Kathy, one of the original life flight nurses at Geisinger. I'm humble and grateful that together we had the opportunity to serve in this magnificent mission. I'm grateful that I can be with this most precious assembly as we celebrate 30 years of service. My thanks to all of you who carry on our heritage, our greatest intentions to serve others in their hours of greatest need. You make life-saving differences in the lives of patients and families all over the world. May God bless Ames, all of the affiliate enterprises, and may God bless every one of you who have the special passion and the mental and physical fortitude to carry on this highest level of care and service to our fellow man. Hi, my name is Frank Thomas. I'm the medical director of the adult services for Intermountain Life Flight. I'm a practicing critical care physician at Intermountain Medical Center Shock Trauma Intensive Care Unit and a professor of medicine at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Except for an academic appointment to full professor several years ago, I've pretty much had the same job I've had for the last 25 years. I've held the office of president of Ames, at that time Ash Beams, from 1988 to 1990. I also served as the president-elect from 1986 to 1988. During that same period, I co-chaired along with Christian Bueller and Dr. Ken Ree the scientific sessions for the 1988 Boston Air Med International Conference. At that conference, over 250 air medical transport papers were presented. I make mention of this because, to my knowledge, it was and still remains the largest assembly of air ambulance medical transport papers ever presented at any air medical conference, civilian or military. During my tenure as the president of Ames, I also served as one of the ad hoc board members during the startup of the CAMES organization. I followed my Ames presidency by becoming the founding president for AMPA, the Air Medical Physicians Association, to which I served two years. I've had the pleasure and honor in serving as the medical advisor for NACS, the National Association of Air Medical Communication Specialists, and I have served on a variety of ad hoc air medical committees throughout my 30 years in the field of air transport. I've also served as a reviewer for the journal called Hospital Aviation, Air Medical Journal, and the Journal of Air Medical Transport during this period. This will be my 30th consecutive time at AMTC. In actuality, my 31st, since I attended the first organization meeting in Houston. To my knowledge, no other individual has attended each and every AMTC since its beginning. As a consequence, I've had the opportunity, wonderful opportunity, to watch our industry through its trials, tribulations, and changing of the guard. The two biggest milestones uh, in the association during my presidency, the first was that we moved from a national association to an international association. The Boston Air Med Conference opened the door for an exchange between not only Air Medical Services in the United States, but with my colleagues throughout the world. The second biggest milestone, and the one that I'm most proud of during my presidency, was a shift in philosophy that was created during my presidency. No longer would Ames, as a competing organization to other organizations such as the Flight Nurses, the National Flight Paramedics Association, and the National EMS Pilots Association, and others, rather 
we saw a beginning to ourselves as the parent or umbrella organization to all of these organizations. And it was therefore our duty to help assure the success rather than the failure of these groups. To assure its success, we created a President's Association. Here the presidents and the president's elect of each association would meet to discuss common and at times contentious concerns. On the President's Association, there were presidents like Tim Hines, Jeannie Herges, Michael Burke. We would sit down, craft a common solution to which we would all agree. We'd then go back to our boards, get their support, and then drive it through the industry as the direction to which the industry was headed. We spoke as one united voice, and we meant it. This was, in my mind, this accomplishment is one of the most I'm proud of. Because of the trust and sharing we created, we were able to bring NIMSPA into the air medical fold and open the door to the possibility for future air medical associations such as NACS. We helped create CAMES with funding and support from all these associations and we went on to create the foundation of air medical uh, research now known as Medevac International to help fund critical research in the field of air medical transport. Some wonderful things occurred during my watch as the president of Ames. I was fortunate during my presidency to work with individuals throughout this industry who had only one objective, to make transport of the sick and injured the best it possibly could be. Even today, I still get a wonderful feeling to know what we can accomplish as an industry if we put our hearts and minds to it. The air medical industry has changed in many ways, in many ways not. To begin, we've definitely become better at the aircraft that we have and we much have much better uh, trained personnel. But the problem that we face since my beginning and into this industry some 30 years ago are the same. The same three questions persist. Is air medical transport safe? Does air medical transport make a difference in outcomes? And finally, is air medical transport justifiable? I.e., do the costs of these transports justify the outcomes? Other changes I have observed in the early years of transport, we were in the business of medical transport, as exemplified by the hospital-based program. Now our industry has evolved from the business of air transport to becoming an air medical transport business, accent on the noun. To repeat, we're now an air medical business. Too much in either direction can have disastrous consequences. That is to say, too much focusing on maximizing the delivery of air medical care without regard to a cost will not and cannot succeed. On the other hand, those who see profitability of placing aircraft in every town to grab up as much market share as possible will likewise fail. We're just beginning to start to see this occur. The answer is obvious. There must be a balance between the two. Future air ambulance services will have to have and deliver spectacular medical care in the most cost-effective way manner. It will be a system that measures, learns, measures again, learns again, and so on and so forth towards a continuum of an ideal state. It's a system that will move faster and further than its nearest competitor. It will be seen as a model to which all air transport medicine strives. Those incapable of making this judgment will fall, and those and only the strongest of air medical transports services will be left standing. You may ask, how might this occur? To answer this question, let me suggest an amusing story. In my last year as president of Ames, during a mid-year conference, I thought I would talk about the future of our industry. At that time, the model program was the hospital-based program. 
each year bigger and bigger aircraft were being sold. So the attitude was big hardware was the answer. During this meeting, I got up and announced that after I was done as president, I was going to take a job with Medicare. My job would be to do a national audit of each and every one of their services. I told them that I was going, how I was going to do it. No longer was Medicare going to pay for big, expensive helicopters. The air transport services would be reimbursed by an averaged amount for transfers. Air services using large helicopters would lose money. Smaller helicopters would make money. We would pay for large helicopters only if, and I state only if, an approved outcome could be shown. Needless to say, I had everyone sitting in the room taking notes. Board meetings from other associations were temporarily suspended so that these board members could listen to what I was saying. I saw a helicopter manufacturer representative standing in the room, clearly becoming anxious and uneasy at what I was saying. And as I went through each element that air ambulance services had to do in order to justify themselves to receive payment, I could see a visible dread on many of the audience's faces. It was clear many were not prepared for such an audit. Finally, I stood before the group and announced that they still had time to get it right. For my lecture had all been a ruse. I was not taking a job with Medicare audit team, but I wanted them to seriously think if they were to undergo such an audit, could they survive it? And if not, what could they do to get ready? I've had 20 years to think about that day and what I said to my colleagues. Some were good listeners, others are now long gone. I've spent the last decade preparing myself and our program for the changes that I and others perceive will be coming in the future. The future will be much different. So I leave my listeners with just this one thought. In three years, I will be eligible for Medicare. I've been asked by Washington once again if I would return when I retire from Intermountain Healthcare to join a Medicare audit team specifically directed at Air Medical Services. My only questions to my medical colleagues, air medical colleagues particularly, will you be ready for such an audit? Specifically, can you justify the cost and inherent risk associated with an air medical transport? If you do this well, I can assure you and your air medical program that you will have a long and prosperous life. My best to all of you and stay safe. My name is Don Stamper. I had the privilege of serving as the president of Ames from 1990 through 1992. My title currently is development coordinator for a development group in Columbia, Missouri. We do land, land use, real estate, zoning, um, uh, media relations, governmental relations, lobbying, uh, and uh, that sort of thing for the real estate industry. My title at the time when I was president of Ames was the uh, manager of emergency services at University Hospital and Clinics in Columbia, Missouri. Our program was the 52nd program in the United States and started in 1982. Uh, and uh, still is operational to this day. My title switched uh, shortly after I became president because I was elected as our county's chief elected official. I served 12 years on the county commission as the presiding officer uh, and transitioned out in 2002. Other positions I've held within the industry, I was the president of the National Association of Emergency Medical Technicians. I was a site evaluator for the Committee on Accreditation of EMT Paramedic Programs. Uh, I served on the ASTM task group, the F-30, specialty responders. The task group was responsible for drafting uh, draft standards for the practice and provision of air medical care. Uh, 
I was a member of the National Association of Emergency Medical Technicians Pre-Hospital Trauma Life Support Committees, an alternate delegate to the AMA, Emergency Medical Services Commission. I was an advisor for the Journal of Air Medical Care in 1987 to 1989, a consultant to the country of Czechoslovakia in 1989. I was on the board of directors of the the American Society of Hospital-Based Emergency Air Medical Services, what we know today as AIMS, from 1984 until 1990 and uh, served a a term on the National Registry uh, of Emergency Medical Technicians Board of Directors. I also worked with uh, with NHTSA, the National Highway Safety Administration, for state EMS site review team evaluation of the statewide missions, and I served on the Committee on Rural Healthcare Policy uh, for the Office of Technical Assessment with the United States Congress. In 1989, we developed an outline for changes that were coming forth and needed to be addressed in policy uh, for the delivery of emergency services. Um, I um, uh, You've asked the question of what are the two biggest milestones the association achieved during the time that I was president. I like to think in terms of being a part of a continuum uh, with Ames. Uh, we really began to focus in the late 80s and early 90s a lot on quality assurance and a lot on quality delivery, uh, establishing standards with our industry. We worked with uh, other associations to bring forward a variety of uh, proposals. Uh, the CAMS effort was started and initiated during my term as president, and we put a lot of energy and a lot of investment into CAMS financially uh, to develop uh, the group, uh, develop the corporation, uh, give it a freestanding status. Uh, safety was a big issue. We had a safety congress and a major safety congress during my term as president, uh, which addressed a high level of, of incident and accidents uh, during a period. We were under high scrutiny from the, from the FAA, uh, and uh, we were really being challenged. Uh, uh, many adjustments in work schedules and time schedules were made during that time, and it was a very tense period. Uh, what accomplishments were, am I most proud of during my presidency? I would suggest to you that I'm most proud of the fact that we began to really pull together in the same direction with AIMS, NIFNA, uh, the National Flight Paramedics, the pilots, the physicians, uh, working with HAI and just about any interested group. Uh, we really were reaching out and pulling in. Uh, we struck uh, an accord with uh, NIFNA and with other groups to be a founding part of uh, the annual conference uh, and our educational initiatives uh, with shared revenue. Uh, and we expanded those relationships. Uh, We began to express ourselves in Washington, D.C., and we began to deal with uh, issues uh, such as uh, meetings with HIFCA. We went to Maryland several times and met with people about reimbursement when reimbursement was falling off for our transport systems, and we were able to effectuate some change uh, out of that, uh, which I think the organization can be very proud of. If anything, we continued the growth of AIMS. I've always been very big on the idea that when you take a leadership role, no matter what level the organization it's in, your ultimate responsibility is to leave a better organization to the future uh, than the one which you inherited. And I feel pretty strongly uh, that we did that. And from what I can see, the evidence of the growth of the association since, it has continued along that same uh, plot. how has medevac transport evolved and changed since my involvement? You know, I'm of the opinion that there's way too much proliferation. Um, there are too many machines. I'm convinced that we're probably flying uh, patients uh, that are not warranted uh, for air transport, uh, that we're diluting uh, the patients, and that they're no longer all critical care patients. Some of them, quite frankly, uh, could go by local providers without any negative impact. Um, I'm kind of a traditionalist. I always reserved uh, the flight for the most critical and the most endangered, the most threatened, where the flight crew's talents could really be put to work and be maximized. Um, Do I have other interesting, amusing anecdotes uh, during my time with um, 
with medevac or with AIMS. You know, uh, in the introductory uh, here in the questions, you called us pioneers, and I don't know that we were pioneers. We were just having a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, as I reflect back on it now, we did some really cutting-edge things. Uh, we impacted the quality of care, I'm convinced. Uh, we elevated it, and we brought new things uh, to, to the patients that we transported. It's amazing to me, the people that I worked with and the colleagues I got to learn from all over the country, all over the world, and the thing about Ames is that when you go there, there's going to be people that are, are awfully good at what they do. Uh, they're going to challenge you on every curve. And when you try to lead a group like that, it's a very stimulating activity, and it's something that I learned a great deal from. We have a wise old guy in Missouri that once said that people only learn in two ways, one from leading, reading from books and the other through their affiliation with smarter people. That was said by Mark Twain. And I've always used that uh, kind of as a guiding light in my life to know that Ames and the culture of Ames and the people that I had a chance to work with gave me very, very rich experience, and I learned a great deal from them. Um, you know, I had the perfect relationship with Nina Merrill. She told me what to do, and I did it. And uh, it still uh, goes to that to, to these days. But it's been an amazing transformation. I extend my congratulations to the organization for 30 years uh, in the business. And I was at the second ever meeting. Uh, in San Diego, California, and I made a number of them uh, up through the 90s, uh, and I think the last time I was with the group was in Dallas. And so I wish you all the best uh, in Fort Lauderdale, and I wish you the best for another 30 years. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Hi, this is Ford Kais, and uh, my current title is uh, founding partner of Action Coach Pinellas. We're a uh, business coaching firm working with businesses of all types, and helping them to grow and expand their business. When I was uh, the president of uh, Ames, I was the VP of Operations and Chief Nurse Executive at St. Anthony's Hospital in St. Petersburg, Florida. I was president of Ames uh, in uh, 1994, sort of the 94-95 year, and uh, sort of was the culmination of a lot of different roles I had had in the air medical industry and the professional association. In fact, I was the president of the National Flight Nurse Association in uh, 1985, the fifth year of that organization's existence. I was on the founding board of the National Flight Paramedics Association. I was on the founding board of the Foundation for Air Medical Research, which has uh, since uh, changed its name. In fact, many of the associations have changed their name since uh, the days when I was uh, first involved. And uh, currently, I'm uh, working with a client who operates a long-distance air transport uh, network called Air Ambulance Network, which has been in the industry uh, for 38 years, is uh, one of my clients. Probably the two biggest things that occurred uh, during my year as president uh, we had uh, the uh, Air Medical Reimbursement Congress. One of the big issues at the time was really trying to figure out the reimbursement issues for air medical transport. It was still relatively new. Medicare was raising a lot of questions and concerns, and we knew, however, uh, whatever way Medicare went was going to be key for how all insurance providers looked at air medical transport. So. We conducted a, uh, a congress and pulled people together and experts to help explore that issue. Uh, we were doing a lot of uh, uh, networking and lobbying with, uh, with Medicare uh, and with uh, other federal agencies to try to make sure that everybody understood the value of air medical transport. Uh, another big issue during my term was really trying to get all of the various uh, air medically related associations 
to play well together. Uh, there was a uh, beginning conflict and feeling like one group was, you know, trying to dominate the other. And so we spent a lot of time pulling together uh, at the time the National Fight Nurses, National Fight Nurse Association, National Fight Paramedics Association, uh, uh, the National uh, EMS uh, Physicians Association, the Pilots Association, uh, to come up with a plan for us to all support and share in uh, our national meeting, which was the Air Medical Transport Conference. And also we looked at pulling together and working on a, uh, a publication, a journal that uh, would be more scientific and would bring some real value to the industry and help promote the value that air medical transport was bringing to healthcare uh, overall. You know, I got involved first in uh, 1980 in San Diego, which is actually, I guess, officially the second meeting of, uh, of what later became Ames, uh, but really was the first uh, time that they had held it with a, uh, with a real conference and was the foundational meeting for the National Flight, Mer- National Flight Nurses Association. Uh, and, and, of course, in those days it was called ASH Beams, which was the American Society for Hospital-Based Emergency or Medical Services. Uh, which uh, seems like a whole mouthful now when we look back on it. But the first conference was in San Diego, and and that year we did not have a MASH bash. It was only in this next year when we went to uh, Jacksonville was the first year for the the, uh, MASH bash, which has become uh, an annual event at the conference. And so there was a whole group of us that loaded up in some cars and went to Tijuana for the night. And I often joke and think back about that time and tell people I, I spent a week in Tijuana that night, but we had a uh, we had a great time and everybody stayed safe and we made it back by by dawn. But it was uh, quite a uh, first experience getting exposed for me uh, to flight nurses and others in the industry from all around the country. Hi, I'm Connie Schneider Easley. I'm currently the Vice President of Program Operations at MedTrans Corporation, where I've been at for three and a half years. I was the Ames President during 1996 to 98, when I was the current Director of Loyola LifeStar. Um, I left Loyola LifeStar shortly after that and finished my Master's and became a Senior Associate at Fitch & Associates, where, if you know Chris Zoller and Fitch, they had me all over the North American continent um, between Roper LifeLink, um, where I was there for a year, LifeLight of Maine, where I was there for six months, Portland LifeLight Network, where I was there for four or five months, and multiple other locations that were AIMS members. I started with AIMS in 1990 to 1994 as the AIMS Safety Committee Chair, and that was back when the committee chairs were appointed to the board of directors. Um, in 1990 to 97, I was also one of the original CAMES site surveyors and performed the first site survey at Fargo, North Dakota at Merit Care for Roseanne Kranz's program with Dr. Ira Blumen. 94 to 96, I became the president-elect as I moved off from the safety committee chair on the Ames board and was um, one of the last president-elects. Denise Landis right after me and myself were the last president-elects elected from the general membership. And then in 96 to 98, I was the last president that was elected from the general membership at Ames. 98 to 2000, I became the past president. And then in 2000, I was able to launch the Ames Foundation at that point with all the help of the board, really to to assist in fundraising efforts so the 
we could support the good work of Ames and continue to raise money to do all the programs that we're not able to do just based on dues in the AMTC um, conference. What were some of the biggest milestones that I achieved during my presidency? Well, um, probably the biggest one was executing on what the uh, board wanted, which was, and the membership wanted, which was moving the association from California, um, where it had been for the last, uh, let's see, gosh, 15 years probably, to Washington, D.C. Um, there were four of us that went to Washington, D.C. and moved, and we had hired the association of um, Association of Execs, American Society of Association Execs, and that was uh, David Long, who was the current um, Secretary Treasurer, uh, Denise Landis, who was the incoming uh, President-elect, and myself, who was the incoming President, along with Ed Ero, and we interviewed probably 20 candidates to become our new Executive Director for Ames, and we ended up hiring Don Mancuso, which was an excellent choice, and she's been with us for many years since that time. Um, we actually moved the office. David went down and closed the California office. I became the secretary, office person, executive, whatever you wanted to call me, um, and answered all the Ames phones and um, handled the Ames mail for the month. And then um, Don actually went to D.C. and opened up the new office. So probably one of the biggest things was moving the Ames office. Um, we rewrote the bylaws because we had a, a multiple discussions over the years, and you as AIM members will remember this, whether we were really a program director association or were we were really a trade association that served the programs. And after much debate, we really knew that we were a trade association serving the programs. We rewrote the bylaws. One of the main changes with the bylaws, um, other than strengthening the fact that we were truly a trade association, was that the officers would then be elected from within the board. Um, Don brought many good ideas with us, and we started News and Views newsletter. We revamped the whole community awards process um, during AMTC on Monday night with the awards videos, which have been a huge hit ever since then. We upgraded and expanded the uh, membership directory to be a resource guide. And she also brought to us the idea of doing a training program for future leaders in the uh, association or in the program world. And um, if you remember the 19, late 1990s, many of the programs had downsized during that time and were looking at um, being merged with ERs. And so we had directors who were running programs that had multiple departments and really didn't know as much about uh, the actual running and the operations of a true air ambulance or air medical program. So Don brought to us the idea of Ogilvy and the MTLI concept, and in 1997, the regions were formed, and we developed a curriculum which has been successful for the last almost, well, we started in 98, so 12 years now. Besides moving the main, the Ames main office, other milestones that occurred um, during my presidency were that we brought all the associations together with strategic planning twice in that one year to Chicago. And the reason we did that was we clearly understood that we were now a trade association and the professional associations, whether that was uh, the Flight Nurses Association and the Flight Paramedics and NACS for the communicators and AMPA for the physicians, 
were then trying to make sure that they aligned with the strategic initiatives of the trade association. Um, we also accomplished the goal once we moved to D.C. to really be recognized as an industry voice for both the FAA, which we had started meeting with the FAA during that time, um, for the whole advisory circular piece, which they wanted to revise um, the heliport adv design advisory circular. We also started lobbying with HICFA because we knew how important reimbursement was going to be in the future with the fee schedule regneg coming down the pike. And so we were able to start those dialogues on a consistent basis once we were located in D.C. with both HICFA, um, the FAA, OSHA, DOT, which we had a good relationship with, and many other federal agencies that um, we needed to be keenly involved with and, and recognized as the industry expert um, for AIMS and the voice of the industry. So as you can tell, many things occurred during the time when um, I was the president from 96 to 98. How is the medevac transport uh, industry involved or the community evolved and changed? Well, many of you that have been out there, I've been running air medical programs since 1981. And during my presidency in the mid-1990s, many of the air medical programs were still hospital-based. We had added some ground ambulance and fixed wings, so we were no longer ash beings, American Society of Hospital-Based Air Medical Services. Um, we now were more... Um, global in our critical transport, including both ground and fixed wing. But at that time, the hospitals were still thinking of it, many of our air medical transports as a flying billboard. We were really used by the marketing departments for the hospital to extend their reach out into the rural communities. And frequently our programs were considered lost leaders as a transport department because many of the hospitals didn't really try and build correctly. I remember at Loyola, uh, they came back to me and said, you know, we needed to write off all these Medicare bills because they hadn't appealed them during the correct appeal process. And when I asked the question why, and which was very typical of many of the hospitals during that period of time, and, and probably even year to date now, is that it wasn't as important as billing for that burn patient who had, you know, had a $100,000 bill. So the five or $10,000 transfer bill was nearly um, minuscule in the, in the thought processes of the hospital. So in the mid to late 1990s, the hospitals really did start to downsize. Um, they were trying to cut expenses. Certainly the uh, air transport programs became more scrutinized more closely. And the independent provider models or community-based models, whatever terminology you want to use, that really started with some of the Rocky Mountain um, IPMs called LifeNet, really had started to increase and serve more of those rural markets in the early 2000s. And it wasn't necessarily just because they were growing, but the hospital bases um, were trying to figure out, or the hospitals were trying to figure out how to do it better. And they wanted to expand and move out their aircraft to the rural market. So there was a, a situation where some of the IB, IPMs were increasing, and then the hospitals were also moving their aircraft out, perhaps instead of one or two large um, iron aircraft based at the hospital, they may have started smaller versions, single engine or light twins out in the rural market to serve their areas. 
And as the hospitals um, tried to figure out how they were going to continue to compete within their market share, they also increased their healthcare networks. They acquired more hospitals during this time and still are to date. Um, they're also, several hospitals have a strategy of acquiring 911 ambulances to really secure their market share. So there are a variety of different methodologies out there to how to secure their market share, whereas in the mid-90s, it was really that flying billboard to transport patients in. One of the other changes we've seen in healthcare is the critical access hospitals, which now many of the small rural hospitals have gone to a critical access status with less than 25 beds, and they also cannot keep patients as an inpatient less than 72 hours or have to move them out. And the critical access hospitals then get some funding from the federal government to be able to stay alive and serve their rural markets. So with all those changes in healthcare, with the changes in um, uh, aviation, we've all wanted to start upgrading our equipment, um, changing aircraft, uh, addressing new technology, making sure that we're training our pilots and our medical crew well, um, and some of the med crew had gone back into the ERs or the various inpatients in the hospital and weren't as dedicated if, if the hospital was losing money on their transport team. So we tried to figure out ways, and I think the market has just changed both with the hospital market and with the fee, in, uh, the fee schedule being implemented and the change from cost-based reimbursement to the Medicare fee schedule, we have seen an increase in those um, community-based programs or independent provider models or hybrids, which is kind of a combination of the hospital still owns the staff, but they may be reimbursed on a variable rate from whoever actually bills for the patient and owns the state EMS license. I think in the future, um, I'm not really sure. We all wish we had a crystal ball, but I think um, we'll continue to see changes in reimbursement what uh, the future of the federal government with our health care regulations is going to look like. It could be that patients, there won't be as many patients that are self-funded and they'll have some more of a federal or state uh, reimbursement for transport. I think we'll continue to see hospitals downsize in those rural markets. We're also going to have to address the medical necessity pieces because the CDC came out with updated trauma criteria, but I think the American College of Cardiologists and the neurology and the neonatal folks all are all going to have to come out with additional criteria of what's appropriate to transport. I mean, and they all have various pieces in work with the STEMIs, the ST elevation myocardial infarction criteria to get those patients in within the golden hour for into the cath lab. So the golden hour is no longer associated with just trauma patients, but we see it now for cardiology. We're seeing it for strokes. There's new technology coming down the pike with um, introducing an air bubble and using ultrasound to break up the clot during transport so that when the patient gets to the uh, tertiary care center, their stroke is already evolving and, and um, improving. So I think we'll also see changes with hypothermia. We've seen that with the full-term babies on the neonatal side um, and stopping intracranial bleeds. Now, whether that will continue down to more of the pre-termers or it will continue more in the post-myocardial infarction um, where patients are post-arrest, they're hypothermically um, treated 
treated and have interventions there for a while, and then they, they're able to um, go home without any neurological impairment. So I think we're going to see a variety of hypothermia take place, and we'll see more reasons for that both critical care transport and rapid transport that air medical can provide. And that will vary by the region, the geographic area. It could be that a critical care ground ambulance will suffice if the, if the distances aren't that long to get those patients in within the golden hour or whether that will be um, rotor wing or fixed wing. But I think if we keep into effect that we have to be able to safely transport our patients, um, we're all addressing the technology side now. What pieces do we need on the aircraft? What pieces of equipment do we need for medical care? Um, but I think the other pieces that we're going to have to address in the future is the human error, the whole training um, equation, whether that's additional training versus an annual check ride for the pilots, um, whether that's additional maintenance um, tech training, whether that's additional medical crews of training. But as we do that, we're going to have to address both safety and medical necessity and prove our, continue to prove our worth because I think we have proved our worth over the years of getting the right patient to the right hospital in the right amount of time with the right level of care. Um, we really need four R's because we frequently forget that that level of care, the critical care that our crews provide is, is uh, um, prime importance for our patient care. What are some other observations or interesting um, uh, anecdotes that I'd like to share? You know, Ames has gone through a variety of changes over the year. If you look in the past, uh, let's see, they started with the first forming year was in 1980. So this is the 30th year. 1981 was the first conference where I attended, and there were less than 100 people there in that uh, San Diego, Long Beach area. And as we look at that, you know, Ames frequently has had the right president at the right time to lead our association and address the challenges that occurred during those years and where we're going to have to solve for challenges in the future. Um, we'll always continue to be problem solvers and come up with the right solutions or a solution to address the current need and get us to where so that we can still have our air medical and our critical care ground transfer programs um, there to provide that critical access, that safety net, um, and safely transport the patients to the critical um, tertiary facilities or quaternary facilities that they need to go to, those service, uh, excellent service areas that the hospitals provide. Um, and I try and think about everything that I do every day in air medical for the past 29 years, thinking that the person that's on that aircraft is my most loved one and how would I want the patient treated, how would I want the aircraft and pilots and maintenance um, trained and equipped, and what kind of um, improvements can we continuously do so that we can safely transfer those patients from point A to point B to the appropriate hospital at the right amount of time with the right level of care. Thank you. Hi, my name is Denise Landis, and I am currently the manager of critical care transport at the University of Michigan Health System Survival Flight Program. Uh, my pro my uh, program title was the same title um, as when I was the Ames president. Um, I held the office of president from 1998 to 2000, and during the years, I've also been a board member 
um, of Ames, as well as president-elect, past president, and held um, uh, positions in several of the committees. Um, I am currently affiliated with uh, Michigan uh, Ames program. I'm at the president at this time. I'm also on the board of the Michigan AAA Association, and I'm currently a board member of ACT, the Association of Critical Care Transport. My biggest milestones while I was president, I had to think about this, but obviously at the time, HICFA negotiations were the biggest thing. Now we know them as um, CMS, and we had a very successful drive with reimbursement. It was a, a huge endeavor as we needed to raise money, and I look back over the years, and it was, it was a truly an opportunity where all programs came together and supported this cause. We had a special drive, um, got donations from programs to be able to put a good team together to take to the table at the negotiations. The other milestone, as I look back and reflect, is the Medical Transport Leadership Institute um, that began uh, during my presidency and as has been a very successful program, which includes a, a graduate school. And I look at those uh, two things, and um, sometimes the question is asked, what were you most proud of during your presidency? Um, I think both. I think the reimbursement was an advantage to all, and I think MTLI um, was and still is an advantage to all medical transport uh, programs. The most significant hurdle, I believe, over the years has been uh, with the economy stabilizing the attendance at MTLI and with a great group of regions that we have and careful planning and marketing, we're able to maintain um, the folks that want to attend the MTLI and, still, and we still have a robust school with attendance. I think since I have been president, uh, one of the other questions is how has Medivac evolved and changed um, since my involvement with it? Uh, obviously, the growth has been tremendous. Uh, unfortunately, along with that is the increased accidents and the changes um, that we need to we need to come together with um, have to be driven for safety and patient care. Um, Often I struggle with what's more important, safety or patient care, and I truly believe there you can't have one without the other. And the concern with accidents and what we're going to do about that um, remains to be seen. Um, I think so many of the discussions are based on what we can afford and what we can't afford. But if you've ever had an accident, I, I don't think you can measure the cost of an accident if you would have paid up front for safety. Um, any other interesting observations and amusing anecdotes that I would like to share with you? I think um, I chuckle the most about uh, the Hickman negotiations, and we used to travel to Washington, D.C. Or, or Baltimore, Maryland, and the, the meetings were consistently held at this one hotel. And I look back now, and I swear I was at these meetings once every two weeks. And they were quite lengthy, um, and they lasted quite a long time, basically through all four seasons. And I recall one meeting where we actually got stranded at the hotel in a snowstorm. And um, at that time, of course, you don't pack bathing suits because you don't think about sitting in a hot tub or swimming. So people were in whatever pajamas, uh, 
the hotel was running out of food, um, running out of uh, towels. We we would go swimming or sit in the hot tub because there was nothing else we could do when we were tired. Uh, roads were closed. Airports were closed. So I, I think back and we probably got most of our best work done at that time because we were forced to stay together. Um, there were a lot of great times um, as I was president and a lot of great times with board meetings. Um, there were difficulties with other associations at the time, and it was really nice to see the coming together of the associations through the HICFA negotiations. So for me, that was also one of the great things is we could all come to an agreement on what we thought needed to be done uh, for reimbursement in our industry at the time. Okay. Um, this is Greg Powell. I am the President and uh, Chief Executive Officer of STARS, Shock Trauma Air Rescue Society in Alberta, Canada. That is the title I was as Ames President, which occurred between 2001 and 2003, and I continue to hold that title in addition to a Professor of Emergency Medicine at the University of Calgary. There were very interesting challenges and milestones that uh, were confronting the association during the time of my presidency, and uh, I think they were basically mitigated in a positive way. I would characterize them as the first one being that there was a number of concerns expressed by the other associations, the professional associations, the clinicians and um, paramedics, nurses, pilots, uh, physicians, and I think we achieved a degree of transparency and communication that wasn't there before that helped a lot. Um, I think during that period of time there, there developed some significant collegial activities and uh, that culminated in the signing of a, a renewed AMTC contract that was to everyone's benefit. The wonderful ability for people to get along in, a, um, in an open environment uh, was highlighted during those those years and, and carried on for some time afterwards. I, I think the accomplishment that I feel most comfortable about is sort of putting the patient first. And I think we all talked about that. And while we had some philosophical discussions about what the association meant to those who were responsible for governance and financing versus those who were responsible for patient care, um, we got patient care very high on the agenda and I think drove a considerable amount of positive decision making. There's been some evolution, certainly, that's changed uh, since my involvement. And I think that as healthcare has become a subject of dollars and recessions have occurred, that there's been some drivers in the economic environment that have divided the industry, particularly poignant in the United States. And maybe before I should mention more about that, I should say I, I was also very proud to be the first, I think, non-United States citizen to be a uh, president of Ames, and that was a very enriching and uh, unique experience for, for a Canadian for which I will be forever grateful. Um, I think from the perspective of the future, um, we're going to have to meet a different kind of need, and the needs are very jumbled up right now between economic survival, um, unserved patient needs, and the 
actual need that exists to move time-sensitive illnesses by ground and or air to definitive care and, and change the outcome for those patients. That's very difficult to sort out in the, in the current host of drivers that exist, particularly in the American environment, but it is a worldwide problem. Um, the other interesting observations and music anecdotes I would share um, is really how I think prominently the Australians and some of the other parts of the world have started to, and of course, the United States and Canada are picking up on as well, is the cost avoidance issue. I, I think bringing that to the table is something that we all need to do more forcefully now in terms of its uh, its role in the medevac community, and that is that if we save people in a timely way that their rehabilitation costs are avoided, and the rehabilitation costs of completed strokes, completed and uh, head injuries requiring rehabilitation, and in fact myocardial infarctions is huge, and we don't account for or compare to the acute costs in, in a real way, which makes it difficult to uh, scientifically put this point of view forward, but I think it's something we should be working on now and in the immediate future. It has, it has great potential to emphasize the need for organized rapid response, which at this point in history, until we get different kinds of equipment, helicopters will be the most agile and fastest way within a, a certain distance to respond. So that's all I have in the way of comments, and uh, I, again, I'm eternally grateful for the opportunities I had as president and past president to, uh, to make a difference in what has become an international community, and I continue to be involved and look forward to it. This is Thomas Judge. I'm the executive director of Life Flight of Maine and the executive director of the Life Flight Foundation, and uh, were those during, the, while I was on the Ames board and Ames president. I originally joined the board in uh, 2000, and I think my first board meeting was actually at the 2001 AMTC, which was uh, very complicated because of the, the uh, immediately being post the uh, events of 9-11. Uh, later went on to become the treasurer in, I believe, 2002 and three, and then, or 2001, well, 2002 and three, and then uh, became the president in uh, 2004 and 5, uh, and have been on the foundation board uh, as it's gone through various uh, um, evolutions. Uh, most recently, the treasurer of the foundation board, uh, now the Medevac Foundation International Board. And uh, this year in 2010, I will finish uh, terming out of every possible. Um, place on the board. So it's been a 10-year uh, run and um, obviously incredibly interesting times. During all of this, I've been involved in a variety of other organizations. Um, throughout this, I've, I'm on the faculty for the National EMS Medical Directors course at NEMSP and have participated um, on their air medical uh, task force, um, was part of the original um, groups at the Air Medical Safety Advisory Council uh, have worked on the IHST project and the Joint Helicopter Safety Implementation Team lead one of the work groups on infrastructure uh, for them. Uh, have been appointed as the Air Medical Representative a couple times now to the National EMS Advisory Council uh, at NHTSA to the DOT 
and um, am on the scientific committee for uh, AirMed, the international uh, group, um, with an upcoming meeting actually in May in the UK in uh, 2011 in Brighton. When I uh, first came on the board, uh, it, post AMTC, um, the finances of Ames were in fairly precarious position. Ames had been steadily losing money. Um, the, the reserves and the balance of the organization had um, gotten down to, you know, the point of whether it was going to be unclear if the organization was going to be able to survive. The value proposition for membership was in some ways unclear. There was a lot of discontent in the community, and there was a, a lot of um, fracturing with the professional associations that are the partners in AMTC, and the whole idea of partnership and uh, community was, was uh, you know, very challenging. There were a lot of structural changes beginning to evolve in the industry. The AIMS um, governance structure really didn't uh, follow what was going on in the industry and wasn't set up to respond to that. And then all of those together um, were really uh, making the financial position of AIMS um, quite quite almost precarious in a way. So there was a lot of work that went into changing those and, and, and really addressing those issues, a lot of structural work that, that, uh, that went into to, uh, AIMS uh, changes, and um, we managed to increase membership significantly, um, got the finances of the organization um, back uh, into solid position. Uh, AMTC uh, became a much larger um, gathering and uh, the most, you know, probably significant gathering um, in the North America uh, for air, you know, air medical transport, um, and with a very much a beginning of an international flavor. And uh, during that time, one of the structural changes that uh, we underwent, undertook on the board, was really inviting the international community in and beginning to build those alliances uh, across both the Atlantic and the Pacific, um, which have now evolved into, you know, MOUs with EHAC and more recently ISIS, um, and um, very, very strong uh, uh, relationships, not just with our colleagues uh, north of the border in Canada, but really throughout the world and, and especially Europe and Australasia. I think from the standpoint of the milestones that the uh, the integration of the foundations, there was an Ames Foundation and then the, uh, the Foundation for Air Medical Research. It was pretty apparent that, that the small community couldn't support two separate foundations. And that took a significant amount of structural work to bring those organizations together around a common vision, uh, a common structure. And the foundation has really evolved uh, significantly over the last six or seven years now, and the, the work that was done to bring that together and to develop some serious funding streams for research uh, and public education uh, were, I think, very significant. Uh, one of the uh, very specific projects, the, the uh, white paper that was done uh, by the foundation and, and uh, 
was, I think, very, very significant as now in 14 languages, um, multiple um, uh, editions, so and, and is in the process of actually being being updated. The other, I think, significant milestone was was Vision Zero, and uh, that's had some, you know, ups and downs. Uh, needs, you know, some reinvigoration, uh, um, but certainly the issue of safety um, was a big part of the time um, that that I was. Uh, President of Ames, when CNN is flying uh, news teams into Bangor, Maine, to do a 10-minute uh, interview on the rooftop, and then turn around and fly back to Georgia for the nightly news, um, that's not really a good place that you want to be uh, for doing things. And you know, in the media, is as I joined um, Ames, and there was significant growth going on in the industry, and there was a huge increase in crashes. Um, from 2001 to 2005, and uh, being at the center of that storm, the public media interest in it, the public interest, uh, you know, three-page, you know, three-part series in, in USA Today um, was a, a big challenge. And I think that, that one of the things that we introduced in all of this time that, that, and worked very hard um, uh, you know, on the board and uh, within the you know, staff of the organization was introducing the concept of, of, of community versus industry. And you know, from an aside, at one point, you know, we're down introducing this term of community. And, I get to one of the first AMSAC meetings, and they're like, "What in the world, you know, are you guys talking about?" And and framed it that that you know, in an industry, there's there's you know maybe people organized around a, a common enterprise, but in the community, people are really looking out for each other. And it was, I think, really significant that you know that the room kind of stopped, and you had you know obviously. The, the room was full of pilots, and, and Michelle North and Jay Heffernan were leading that organization then. And the room kind of stopped, and they all looked at each other, and, and you could see that they they got this in a different way. That of that that one one program's crash is every program's crash, um, and that we need to think about this enterprise differently, um, and and communities take care of each other. So we were really happy to see. Um, that evolution of of doing things. I think the safety issue has been the most significant um, part of almost every Ames uh, presidency uh, for for in recent years. That that uh, you know while we've had a, a slow up you know down tick you know in, in a couple of years after I was president we had another big increase and and we're on target again unfortunately and. 2010 to have one of the worst um, years uh, in history uh, again. So the, the safety issue is, is just an overwhelming um, focus, and, and we really haven't got uh, to the point of it, uh, addressing it um, appropriately yet. In looking, you know, and back in this and saying I'm going to leave the board, you know, after 10 years have worked really hard in these organizations and, and what's been gained and what's changed and, and where does this go, I unfortunately look back and I, I'm seeing that it's more industry rather than community. 
um, the structural changes uh, across the organizations uh, involved in the enterprise um, have increased the complexity um, of how people relate to each other. Uh, the, the value proposition is, again, a very, very big issue for, for Ames, and, and Ames continues to struggle with it. I think that there's you know, lots of opportunities at the foundation um, to find that, that, that common, uh, uh, common voice. Uh, and so there's, there's, as you know, Dickens, we live in the best of times and the worst of times. And at any moment, I, I think we're, we're somewhere on that spectrum. Looking ahead, the issue of value, um, performance, outcomes, and cost, uh, all wrapped up within this context of, of patient safety and the safety of the workforce is the overwhelming issue that needs to be addressed and, um, you know, and will continue to be a very big point of tension, um, the crucible of the future of everybody um, trying to figure out the best path forward. Uh, I think the overwhelming challenge at this point is, is the understanding that this has to be a um, a healthcare enterprise rather than a transportation, um, an air transportation um, focus, and and you know it that value understanding um, is I think again unclear. Um, tremendous amounts of tension. You know, it's looking at the organization. Um, you know, can there be a common a common tent, and I, you know, I used to say that I was the, you know, the, the minister of a, of a, of a big tent congregation. The problem is that everyone in the congregation belonged to different religions, and I think that that probably has, in some ways, um, become more so um, over time. And and those aren't bad things. I think this is the evolution of, of of how enterprises work, and you know, the challenge for Aims and the foundation will, will will continue to be in that value proposition. So, in looking back ten years, in some ways we've cycled back to where we were. I know that when I came into this, you know, without really any of the long backgrounds that, that many people have had in air medicine, you know, that there was lots of comments that there was it seemed to be a ten-year cycle in Ames, and, and perhaps that you know I was sure that that wouldn't happen. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe the, the world is what it is. Um, in looking back, I think, and, and I shared this with the board as, as uh, I left the board, that, that while we'd had great successes, and, 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 and my last year was the biggest AMTC ever, um, and that, you know, that was due to, to a, a great board, great staff, um, Building relationships with the partner organizations, um, you know, with trying to get a common vision for the future, and so there was tremendous success. And at the same time, I looked at it and said, you know, oh, we're still losing people in in, in these these um, these tragic events, and and that we need to change the word from accident to crash. That accidents are are beyond people's control. Crashes are within our control, preventing crashes within our control. And, and I really felt that in some ways that, that I had hoped that we would get to a year 
where it really was Vision Zero and, you know, put on the bracelet and say, I'll wear this for a year, and if we can get through a year where no one is harmed, um, you know, we'll call it a good trend. And we have yet to get there. Uh, you know, I felt after 2005, one of the worst years that we'd had, that I really had, had in some ways failed. Um, and, you know, but it, it, it remains the single overwhelming challenge, and I think will continue to remain the challenge um, for, for all of the people that take, you know, a leadership position um, representing the enterprise and the board. Hi, my name is Edward Ero, and I had the privilege of serving as the president of Ames from 2005 through 2007. I also served on the Ames board in a number of positions, including regional positions from the upper Midwest and Mid-Atlantic areas, and for two terms in at-large positions. I was a member of the executive committee in 2003 through 2005, first as treasurer and then as vice president during my presidential years, and then from 2007 through 2009 as past president. In the early days of developing the Ames web presence, I also served as the webmaster and was one of the founding regents and instructors for the Medical Transport Leadership Institute. I was also on the committee that hired Don Mancuso as the executive director and moved the association from Southern California to the Washington, D.C. area. While president, I held the position as partner and CEO of MedServe Management Services in Kansas City and am now currently the program director for MedLink Air at Gunderson Lutheran Health System in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I have held a number of other positions with air medical programs from across the country, including Inova Medical Air Care at Fairfax Hospital in Northern Virginia, West Michigan Air Care in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and Duke Life Flight in Durham, North Carolina. Between my time at MedServe and MedLink Air, I started Air Medical Today, which is a news and information source for the air medical community that includes regular news updates and podcast interviews of interesting individuals related to the air medical field. When I look back at some of the difficult times we had as an association over the years, I must say that my years as president were relatively stable in comparison. We had excellent relationships with the other associations. Reimbursement was fairly stable, and there was not many crashes as compared to both the years before and after my presidency. I actually thought at the time that perhaps all the safety work that had been done over the years was really paying off. Unfortunately, I was wrong, because when I was past president, we had one of our worst years on record. When I first got started in the air medical field at Fairfax Hospital, I would have never imagined the growth of our industry and community. That growth, that growth became a friction point at the AMTC in Tampa in 2007 when it was announced just weeks before that Air Methods Corporation was purchasing corporate jets. We had worked hard during the year prior to the convention to come up with an equitable way for a due structure since about 50% of the programs were now community-based rather than hospital-based or affiliated. Given the association bylaws, the large companies could have chosen to take over the association or pay a lot less in dues and get the same benefits of our smaller members. All chose the latter. 
The board thought we had a good compromise worked out, but at Tampa, there was a pushback from the hospital-based programs, which put this change on hold. This led to two membership task force meetings with members from both sides that were held the next year, for which I chaired as past president. Again, I felt we came up with an even better solution using a House and Senate approach so that there would have to be a supermajority to change bylaws and assurances that no one company could hold multiple seats on the board. Again, this action had to be put on hold with the outcome of the MedTrans lawsuit against the state of North Carolina over the certificate of need process in the state before the AMTC in Minneapolis in 2008. MedTrans won the case, but unfortunately this further divided our community with now many of the hospital-based programs starting patient first and now the Association of Critical Care Transport and many of the community-based companies starting the Association of Air Medical Operators. I feel this division is very harmful to our community because it has destroyed much of the work that we did on the Hill in becoming the one voice of air medicine. I still feel that with all the differences, that 85 to 90% of what we all believe in and work on every day is the same, and it is my hope that someday that we can all be under one house again. I hope that day is sooner rather than later. I am recording this after the FAA released their proposed changes for helicopter EMS operations and before the AMTC in Fort Lauderdale. I applaud all that is being done in the name of safety and see efforts by all members of our community, no matter if they are hospital or community-based. Safety has to be job one or nothing else matters. Saying that, I feel we are going to see a lot more outcome-based reimbursement for our transports, and I am sure a reduction in reimbursement overall in the years ahead. This is certainly a challenge given the continued cost increases with equipment and training that is needed for safe operations. One of the things that I challenge all members of our community to do is to think globally and act locally. What I mean by that is to become involved in your state or regional aims or professional organizations. I personally have been involved in state organizations in Virginia, Michigan, North Carolina, South Carolina, Washington, and now Wisconsin. It is here that I work closely with the individuals from other programs on local issues such as weather reporting, mutual aid, safety, education, reimbursement, and just general communication and networking among the programs. In conclusion, it has been an honor and privilege serving within the Ames community. I have developed lifelong friendships and met so many interesting individuals in the 25 years I have been involved. I have especially enjoyed working with the Ames Communications and Public Relations Committee, both as the chairperson and as a committee member, where I still serve today. Thank you. Hi, my name is Sandy Kincaid. I was president of Ames during the year 2008 to 2010. At that time, I was uh, primarily working with Bell Helicopter as their EMS marketing manager until just uh, the last few months and left Bell and then started my own company called Kincaid International, which does some contract or consulting work for anything related to air medical transport. And I also do some part-time teaching with MedAir. It's great to be back uh, teaching. I missed a lot of that. 
Um, in terms of other industry or affiliations, I also had the honor of uh, being involved with the Flight Nurse Association for a number of years and was president in 1999, which I believe is the year we changed from National Flight Nurse Association to the Air and Surface Transport Nurse Association. And that was to work on encompassing all modes of transport uh, involved in the critical care transport industry besides helicopter. So got a list of questions here that I'm going to try and make my way through. Uh, the two biggest milestones the association achieved during my presidency, well, Actually, one of them is not a, a happy one by any means. It was in 2008 that the helicopter um, fixed-wing industry experienced the highest number of fatal crashes uh, in our history. And it was um, obviously very painful having to, um, every, to, to get notifications of these, um, many of them for similar causes that we've been crashing uh, helicopters for, uh, in terms of poor decision making, the um, obviously increased scrutiny was uh, brought on us as as rightfully it needed to be, and the NTSB scheduled the first ever four day long uh, hearing focusing 100% on HAMS. Can't remember the exact number of witnesses, but it was a record setting number of witnesses uh, that were interviewed. And from that, they have come out with a list of recommendations uh, that the industry is trying to embrace. Uh, some of them are a little bit more difficult than others, but uh, for the most part, everybody obviously is focusing on safety. The other thing that, um, as a result of those crashes, the aviation, um, the Congressional Aviation Subcommittee also held a hearing. Uh, focusing on the industry and invited about seven different participants, and uh, Ames was one of those, so I had to testify. And that was uh, not, uh, uh, that was an interesting experience, but one thing that really was sort of eye opening to me in terms of the importance of communication was when a Florida senator stood up and stated a typical Hem's mission in his area was in bad weather during a disaster at night. And I just had to sit on my hands and look at him and think, you know, somebody's feeding his staff that information. And why is our industry um, pulling so far apart at a time that we need to be pulling together? And I really don't have good answers for that, but that truly did consume much of my presidency is, is watching our industry um, really create lines in the sand and, and um, you know, over particular issues and just really seem to struggle to try and work on consensus building efforts. And, you know, this was at a time that we're under increasing public and legislative scrutiny and healthcare reform breathing down our necks, and yet we were um, not working together as a community and still aren't uh, in many ways, and I think that will come back to haunt us in the long run. In terms of some accomplishments, I would say one of my most proud moments is really increasing the international focus. Though I'm a U.S.-based person, I've had the opportunity of traveling internationally. And when you go to Asia and Europe and uh, obviously Canada, I mean, we all speak the same language and we all have the same struggles. We all have the same uh, challenges when it comes to 
wanting to assure patient care is the highest caliber, assuring that the crew is operating in the safest environment. Um, competition exists uh, internationally, just as it does here in the U.S., though at a different level. Um, regulations, they have their own issues related to the uh, regulatory body, whether it's EASA or CAA um, regulating uh, some things that have made it very difficult for them to operate. Um, so just a lot more similarities than differences. And I think it really opened up a lot of board members' eyes, um, as well as our community eyes, uh, to the importance of working together no matter what country you're from. And 2008, AirMed was held in Prague, beautiful city, um, had the highest number of U.S. representation in the history of AirMed. And every one of them that came back came back with that same um, observation. You know, we could really learn a lot from them, and we certainly can teach them a lot. So I'd have to say that was probably my biggest accomplishment was um, increasing that collaboration. Uh, we've signed an MOU with EHAC, which is sort of the AIMS counterpart in Europe, and ISIS, which is the Australian and New Zealand air medical uh, societies. And have worked very hard at uh, increasing uh, educational modes, uh, plus increasing research opportunities and fundraising opportunities. So nothing but good can come out of increasing that kind of uh, communication. How has Medivac transport evolved? Well, I started flying in 1985 in Reno, Nevada, as a single nurse pilot program in the Alouette 3 single engine aircraft that was specifically picked for its high altitude capability. Uh, flew at a whopping, I think, 100 knots an hour. Um, sometimes there were semi-trucks on Highway 50 moving faster than we were. Kept joking that maybe we should just land on the semi and get to Reno quicker that way. But obviously technology has evolved, uh, not from just an aviation and, and helicopter uh, point of view, but certainly medical equipment. I remember we would pull equipment out from the hospital that had never been tested in the field, uh, let alone the extreme environments and vibration and try and adapt it. And, you know, we dealt with the ramifications when it failed. And today's technology is definitely being developed and tested specifically for the um, harsher environment that we work in the field. So that's um, all goodness. Uh, night vision technology, I uh, first time I flew underneath goggles, it was almost a born-again experience when I started envisioning what I used to fly with in, in the dark uh, Sierras uh, under just visual um, flight rules. And, you know, I guess maybe just luck <laughs> in some ways uh, is what I'm sitting here for. So uh, a lot of good things are evolving for the industry. Um, you know, I, I when you look back, I remember my very first Ash Beams conference was in 1985. It was a fairly small industry then. I think there were only about 300 helicopters. So a pretty small conference. Uh, we flew the Alouette in and out of the MGM in, in Reno was when it was held. And, you know, the rockin' with, rockin with Rocky parties, the Mash Bash was pretty wild back in those days with the carrier landings and, and, and stuff. So we've definitely mellowed out. As we've gotten older, uh, the new breed coming in doesn't seem to be quite as wild as we are for some reason. That's not a bad thing. 
So I still am passionate about this industry. Um, I hope someday uh, folks will figure out a way to come back to the table and talk. Um, we are much stronger as a whole than we are as a, as a section. And I don't believe that any business model is better than in the other and think both have their purpose um, and their role. I do believe there's a lot of changes that need to be happened from reimbursement levels and think those will be happening. But I am the internal optimist and look forward to um, watching this industry hopefully come together in the future. It's been an honor to be a part of it, and I wish everybody a safe and, uh, and continued um, to do good work out there. Thanks. Uh, this is Dr. Dan Hankins. I'm a consultant in emergency medicine at the Mayo Clinic. That's Mayo's version of an attending physician. I am actually current AIMS president. I've been AIMS president since October of 2009 till present. Uh, as far as other events that I've participated in the industry, I've been going to the AMTC since 1986. I'm past chair of the air medical section of ASAP and the Air Medical uh, Task Force for NEMSP. Prior to going to Mayo 20 years ago, I was a medical director for LifeLink 3 in St. Paul, Minnesota, working with uh, Rod Crane as the administrator. As far as um, milestones that have occurred in the industry since I've been president, I'd like to say that uh, the best is yet to come since uh, I have another year, I think, to be president. Uh, I see the biggest challenges to the industry that we're facing right now to be uh, multiple. Uh, these include healthcare reform and the effect on uh, EMS in general and air medicine in particular. Uh, how is the system going to sustain itself as far as being the safety net for rural America? Uh, so we need to work on sustainability and maintenance of the system. Uh, the GAO report is pending at the time of uh, this talk, and that could have a powerful impact on the industry, which is as yet unknown, uh, period. The uh, safety of aviation crew and patients is paramount, certainly with the industry right now, and uh, it will be interesting to see what the FAA does with the NTSB recommendations. As far as... Um, what I'm most proud of during my presidency, I think that trying to bring the industry together and seek common ground and uh, consensus is my style, and I'd like to continue doing that as president. Uh, so all of these challenges actually remain in the forefront in our ongoing processes, which we're continuing to work on. Certainly, the industry has evolved a lot over the last uh, 30 years since I've been involved in air medicine. Uh, I think we're more important than ever as far as being the safety net goes with closings of small rural hospitals, uh, consolidation of tertiary care and larger centers uh, with longer distances of transport. Uh, it's been shown very clearly, I think, that air medicine provides a safety net for trauma centers, burn centers, STEMI and stroke centers, uh, which otherwise we wouldn't have. Some of my... Uh, favorite things have happened in air medicine. Um, in Minnesota, we don't have any mountain rescue. Uh, we just have uh, 
let's say, water rescue. So some of my favorite occurrences over the last 30 years have been their medical crews uh, going out to pick up patients in canoes and bringing them back to shore in canoes from islands out in the middle of lakes. Uh, the same thing happens in wintertime when the crews will go out in snowmobiles and use toboggans as uh, backboards to bring it back off the frozen lakes. Uh, so we've had many unusual water and wilderness-type rescues here in Minnesota. So I think industry in the future has to look forward to ever-increasing sophisticated care as far as uh, technology and what we can do in the back of the aircraft and critical care ground ambulance because uh, we become ever much more important as far as uh, critical care uh, being extended from the hospital into the field. So we're going to see a lot more as far as um, importance of what we do, and um, I look forward to that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Air Medical Today podcast. Please come back again and also subscribe to future shows by visiting the website at airmedtoday.com or on iTunes. Information about the Facebook group and Twitter account can also be found at the website. Remember, if you would like to leave feedback, please write to webmaster at airmedtoday.com or call 206-350-0278. Thanks to all the presidents of Ames and the staff of Ames for their time in making this recording possible. It is my hope that, like other Air Medical Today podcasts, it helps all of us in understanding more about this most interesting area of medical care. Remember to take the quiz for a chance to win a road ID. The link is in the show notes. Special thanks to Stanley Reeves of Room Tunes for providing his song, Track 5, for use as a theme song for the podcast. Stan's work can be found at roomtuneenterprise.com. Take care and fly safe.